Imagine the situation. Three generations of your family, your mother, grandmother, sister and a cousin, all developed breast cancer in their 20s. Now you want a child, but you fear the same illness will affect them too. What do you do? This was the dilemma facing one British family, and earlier this year, thanks to genetics and fertility treatment, they were able to have a baby that had the gene for breast cancer screened out. For them, a happy outcome, but one that had the critics crying, eugenics. I'm Liz Pearson, and in this week's Moments in Medicine, I'll be looking at the link between today's genetic technologies and the eugenics of the past. We're currently at the Brompton Hospital, which is in London. It's Europe's best heart and lung hospital. And I'm here because I'm taking part in a clinical trial for gene therapy to try and find a cure for cystic fibrosis. Emma Lake is 27 and works as an expert patient advisor for the Cystic Fibrosis Trust. CF, as it's known, is the UK's most common fatal genetic illness. In this country, one in 25 people carry the gene for it, but most don't realise until they have a child that becomes ill. Emma was diagnosed at two days old and has dealt with the effects of the disease all her life. As a child and a teenager, I spent lots of time in hospital having intravenous antibiotics for the various chest infections because with CF it clogs your lungs. <coughs> I just take lots of tablets every day, a combination of antibiotics, inhalers, over 100 tablets each day. Emma comes to the Brompton regularly for treatment and when she heard that volunteers were needed for a new gene therapy trial, she wanted to help. The CF Trust have funded the clinical trials entirely <clears throat> and we're currently doing the run-in trials at the moment. So, so tell me about how that might work. It's basically a copy of a healthy CF gene, which is on chromosome number 7, and they give it to you in a virus form, which you have to breathe in through a nebulizer. At the moment this takes about five hours to do, and um, although we keep saying it's a cure for CF, actually it's just an improved treatment. I'm Marcus Pembury and I was the Professor Head of Genetics at Great Ormond Street and the Institute of Child Health. Marcus Pembury's career began in the 1960s and so has spanned many advances in genetics. There is a tendency for people to think that the object of the exercise is to reduce the birth incidence of serious genetic diseases in the population. Now that may very well be a consequence, but we are there just like in ordinary medicine to help those families who come forward for help. There is a debate which says that human genetics and genetic counselling is really a new genics. Professor Paul Windling is a social historian at Oxford Brookes University. He has a particular interest in biology, genetics and its early precursor, eugenics. Eugenics as a word is stigmatised, tainted by crimes of enforced sterilisation and the discredited politics of the past but its original meaning from the Greek is simply good birth. Paul explained how the eugenics movement came about. Eugenics goes back to ideas of a statistician and biologist, Francis Galton, in the 1880s. He had the idea that if one applied the statistical laws of inheritance, one could actually manage society in a more rational way. The aims were to improve the biological quality of a population. 
Galton was interested in the social applications of the work of his famous cousin, Charles Darwin. Roger Griffin is a professor of modern history, also at Oxford Brookes. He explained why eugenics became popular at that time. The middle-class, upper-class societies looked around at the urbanisation of society and saw scenes of squalor and filth and disease and had a subjective sense of that the underclasses were breeding while the middle classes and the upper classes were declining. And this related to all sorts of anxieties about the modern age, prostitution, alcoholism, criminality. Accompanying the rise of a Darwinian view of the world, you get people in science, looking to science to solve the problems of the modern age. In the late 19th century, the basic principles of reproduction were well understood, but DNA was not identified until the 1950s, so the early eugenicists had no clear understanding of exactly which diseases were genetically determined. So in the 20th century, when Galton's theories began to be realised, it was in ways that now seem both cruel and disastrous, as Paul Windling explains. We already have in Britain uh, mental deficiency laws just before the First World War. And these mental deficiency laws said that children and young adults who were so-called mental defectives should be held in special colonies. So we have a generation who only emerged in the 1960s from these mental deficiency institutions people began to talk about sterilisation and sterilising the unfit. For example, for chronic alcoholism in the late 1890s in the United States. By 1929, Denmark instituted a sterilisation law. 1933, Nazi Germany. The rationale, wherever applied, was partly about health, partly about politics, partly about resources. Roger Griffin talked me through the thinking. Eugenics in itself is part of a, a much wider spectrum of idealism, scientific ideas of having a healthy humanity. And, for example, you get textbooks under the Nazis where children were asked to do sums, working out how many houses could be built with the money that it costs to look after a mentally handicapped child. Now, we, we're so in, inured to the idea of individualism that the idea of a child not having a right to live is almost unthinkable. But part of the effect of Darwinism and eugenic thinking was to actually throw that idea of the individual as the receptacle of value and humanity out the window and replace it by a species view of value. The culmination of such a view was the destruction of millions of people deemed unfit for the gene pool. Paul Windling told me how the review of what happened took the future of genetics forward. The principle of informed consent, that a person should make the choice rather than the experts, was pronounced at the Nuremberg doctors' trial in July 1947 precisely because of the horrors of these Nazi human experiments, some of which were in Auschwitz. So there is a fundamental watershed between these early eugenic philosophies and the ideas of genetic counselling, which we have today. Hi, we're looking for an angel to help us complete our family. If you have brown or black eyes and hair, are under 30 with preferably slim build. We're in L.A. and seek donor similar to IP Mom. Slim, high cheekbones, angular features, dimples, curly or wavy brown hair. 
high IQ... Genetic services are not just about treating people with illnesses. They're also about fertility. Private adverts on the internet looking for egg and sperm donors seek specific genetic traits. Globally, controversy has surrounded clinics that promise to offer parents the choice of the sex, hair colour or even eye colour of their child. All of this is illegal in the UK, where only the health of a baby can be considered. But, as in the early 20th century, what's permitted in one part of the world can have a knock-on effect on others too. It's of concern to Paul Windling. As we know that more and more physical, physiological, perhaps even psychological attributes have a genetic component, these issues of biological qualities could amount to the same as an equivalent value structure of the early pioneering eugenicists of the 1880s and 1890s. Marcus Pembry has worked extensively to produce guidelines for the use of genetics. Of course we've got to be vigilant, but the international community in clinical genetics is very strong. They don't want the abuses of the past to be repeated. When I was born in the 80s, the life expectancy was only into my teens. Current life expectancy for those with CF is 35. The goals now are to help people like Emma Lake and her family to live as healthily and normally as possible. And for Emma, the continued work of geneticists means everything. The children born today will hopefully just go on and live to a normal old age, and that's all we really want, really. To be able to breathe properly, to just not wake up every morning and have, be gasping for breath would be fantastic. Mm-hmm.